You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Over the last few months, we've been going through a series in the Bible book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, we are in uh, a sort of kind of mini series within the series looking at chapter 13, which is a very famous chapter of the Bible all about love. And uh, we're going to be looking at that in just a moment. Um, Before we do that, can I just highlight a couple of things to you as well? Um, On the 15th of March, we have a special uh, prayer and vision night at the new building. Uh, That's a Friday night at eight o'clock. That will mean there'll be free parking in the the Borough Council car parks nearby. Um, We'd love it if all of you could come along and join us for that evening. You're going to get a chance to see uh, some of the works that have been done so far and uh, a chance to pray together and a chance to see the plans that we have for the months to come and to pray into those together and pray more generally as well for our church and for all that God uh, is going to do through us in, the, uh, in, in that new building. So please do come and join us on the 15th of March uh, for our prayer and vision night. It was wonderful back in September to get in there. I know how excited everyone was uh, to go and pray in there back in September. Well, we've got another opportunity to do that and it's going to be a great evening. So please do uh, mark that in your diaries. The other thing to say is that on the 24th of March, we're going to be giving again into our journey offering. We've been having a number of journey offerings over the last couple of years as we've been seeking God for a larger premises, and we've seen God do amazing things through us. And uh, so please, can I ask you to consider um, whether you can give and how much you can give into this next offering. It might be that giving big looks like tens of pounds. It might be that giving big looks like thousands of pounds. But that all, for all of us, we would consider um, what can we give into this and to consider how can we make sacrifices to uh, give into this as well. So one month today, we're going to joyfully give into, this, uh, into the journey offering as uh, the plans are outworked at the new building. Brilliant. Okay, if you have a Bible with you, can you turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 13? First uh, Corinthians is a book in the New Testament, which is the second uh, part of the Bible, and we've been working through it over the last uh, six months now, uh, something like that. It feels like longer. Um, we've been working through this amazing letter written by uh, a man called Paul to a church that he had started in uh, Greece, a place called Corinth, and today we're going to be delving into probably the most famous verses in uh, Corinthians and probably some of the most famous verses in the whole of the Bible. If you've never been to church before, maybe this is your first time in church today, the chances are that you may have heard these verses because uh, they are famous verses that are often read out at weddings and funerals and so on. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13 and verses 1 to 7. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we unpack it together now that you would do 
a deep work in our hearts. Thank you that you have so evidently been amongst us this morning. And we pray that you would continue to touch us, touch our lives, touch our hearts as we uh, tuck into your word together. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, um, Tim uh, touched upon some of these verses uh, when he was preaching and helpfully reminded us that these verses, or as amazing as they are, some of the most incredible prose that you can find, some of the most incredible literature that you can find, they are not really verses in isolation. They are verses in a context. They come after chapter 12 and before chapter 14, which are the chapters that we have been delving into over these last few weeks. They are to be found right in the context of Paul talking to the church in Corinth about the fact that they are a body, that they are, as a church, they're a body and individually members of it, each with a part to play, each with gifting to bring, to build up the church. And he's also uh, talked to them about the spiritual gifts um, that we unpacked a few weeks ago, gift of languages or the gift of tongues, as you may have heard it described, the gift of prophecy and so on. And so these verses about love fall right in the middle of those passages. Paul is reminding the church that they could be really impressive in so many ways. They could be impressive in their use of these amazing gifts. They could be impressive in so many ways, but if they have not love, then there's no point in them being there. There's no point in them turning up. There's no point in them getting together every Sunday. There's no point in them actually being in Corinth if they don't have love. And as we delve a little deeper into this passage today, let's remember that we get to the fullest and most challenging meaning of these verses when we carefully apply it in the life of a local church, when we carefully apply these verses into the life of the church. It's not going to be, these verses aren't going to be understood at their deepest level if, it's just, if they're just read out at a memorial service or at a wedding. It is literature of the highest quality, but it finds its grounding in the day-to-day life of the church, in the day-to-day life of real community and, in fact, of messy community. That's what church is like. It can be messy at times. It's not perfect. And things, people get things wrong a lot. And so this kind of love that Paul is talking about needs to find its grounding in real community. The church is the context in which this love gets played out. It's the very best uh, context and it's the place that needs this kind of love. Why does, it, why does a church need this kind of love? Well, firstly, because of our diversity just looking out amongst us, we are from a whole bunch of different places, different backgrounds, uh, different ways of approaching life. And uh, that, with that is so much wonderful stuff, so much stuff that we celebrate, but also challenges as well as we try and work out where each other are coming from on different things. Difference in expectations, different in ex- differences in experience, all kinds of diversity amongst us. And that, that kind of diversity needs this kind of love. It needs a patient love. It needs a kind love. It needs a love that bears all things. It needs a love that endures all things. Not only our diversity, but also the fact that we are saints, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, which is many of us here. We're saints, but we're saints who also have sinful attitudes still. We're saints who also get things wrong. And you might be thinking, what has sin got to do with this? Well, let me put it to you like this. If there were two of you, you wouldn't get on with each other. Let that sink in for a moment. If there were two of you, you might think, oh, I'm a pretty good person. If there were two of you, you would not get on with each other. You would wind each other up. You'd rub each other up the wrong way. Because although we are saints and made right with God through what Jesus has done for us, we still get things wrong. We're still clumsy 
in some ways. And so we need to have this kind of love. It requires this kind of loving patience and endurance and kindness. So Paul is, is laying out here what, what this love looks like in community. And Tim helpfully showed us last week that this uh, has a lot to do with the, the way we use spiritual gifts uh, amongst uh, in the church community. But what I want to focus on today is more generally in our community, in our families, in our groups, in our marriages, how can these uh, verses help us? I'm going to ask the question, what does this love look like? What does this love look like? And then to help us some more, I'm going to look at what does this love not look like? And then I'm going to aim to show us something of Jesus. And we're going to see this, this beautiful chapter come to living color as we see it in the life of Jesus. So firstly, what does this love look like? Well, some of you, if you're reading a King James Version Bible, some of you, uh, you like it old school, and you've got a King James Version. I know that uh, one or two of you are nodding and smiling here. And uh, in your version, it might say something like this, charity suffereth long. I'm not, I'm not mocking, I'm just saying that's what it says. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. That's what it might say in your translation. Well, why did uh, the people who translated the scriptures into English and the first translation of that being the King James Version, why do they use the word charity there? Why that, why that instead of more generally using the word love? Well, it's because this letter that we've read together, this letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, was written to a church in Greece, and unsurprisingly, it was written in Greek. And the Greeks have six different words for love. Six different words for love, and three of them we find in the Bible. We, we see three different words for love uh, in the New Testament. And so it's important to kind of work out exactly what kind of love is the Apostle Paul talking about here. The three words that we see for love in the New Testament are these. Storgi, I think I'm pronouncing this roughly right, philia and agape. So storgi is a brotherly affection. It's an affection that comes naturally. It's an affection that comes between a mother and a child, a child and its mother. It's just something that is an, in, an innate love that just happens because you're just, in a clo- you're just naturally in a close relationship with someone. And then there's philia, which is an al- it's a love or an affection that sees something in someone that they like. This love is called out of someone's heart by the qualities in another person. This is more like the friendships we choose. So we might see something in someone and we say, I like that. I want to get to know them more. I I love that person because of the qualities they have. We love them for who they are and what they like. And then there's agape. This love is a love that keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovely, and unworthy. It is an unconditional love. And agape desires only the good of the one loved. It's a consuming passion for the well-being of others. That's the word we're reading here. So when you see here, love is patient, love is kind. It's the word agape, which is this unconditional love. And it's the word that's most commonly used for love in the New Testament over 320 times. This is really God's love for us. This is describing God's love for us. It's not a lot to do with our quality. It has everything to do with his quality. It's not about some innate stuff within us that God saw that he liked and thought, I'm going to love that person because there's something within that I like. But actually, it's a love that he lavishes upon us because of his quality. Agape is a uniquely Christ-like kind of love. It's a love for the utterly unworthy. 
a love which proceeds from a God who is love. It proceeds rather from the nature of the lover rather than from any merit in the beloved. So this week, it was half term, and uh, I had a couple of days off, and um, I was sitting down relaxing one morning, and we had a knock on the door, and I opened the door, and there was two very lovely Jehovah's Witnesses at the door. And um, we got into a, 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 I kind of wanted to shut it down quite early, actually. So they said, do you believe in the Bible? I said, yes, I do. I'm a pastor. And I kind of wanted that to be the end of the conversation because I wanted to go and chill out. And, uh, and they were, oh, that's interesting. They were, and then they started asking lots of questions. And we had a, a good chat. They were very lovely people. Um, and as we got to the end of our conversation, I just asked them this. Do you believe that God is love? Do you believe that God is love? And they said, yes, we believe God is love. It says it in First John uh, chapter 4, God is love. I said, but if you don't believe that God is three in one, like I do, if you believe that Jesus was created at a later date, if you don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God, then there was a time when Jehovah was on his own, when actually he wasn't innately love where he couldn't have been described as love because there was no one for him to love. So there was something about him that was not love. In fact, he could not have been in any way described as love. And I just asked them the question, do you believe that God is love? And they said they're going to go away and think about it. Um, and they may come back. Now, I don't know if I'm now blacklisted, so they're not, going to, they're not going to come and knock on my door anymore. Or whether or not now I'm on a special prayer list because I'm a pastor and they think, well, if I, they can get me, they might. I don't know. So... But they were very lovely. And the point that I was trying to show them was this, that God has always been and will always be love. That he has, in eternity past, been love and he will always be love. He has always been a loving community of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He has always been a self-giving love, a lover. He's been a self-giving lover for all eternity. How could he be if he were not Father, Son and Holy Spirit? God is love. And that's only possible if he has always expressed love. God has always been and will always be love in and of himself. That's who he is. And this agape, self-giving, unconditional love is what the love of God looks like. This is the word that Paul is using here. It isn't just a love that comes naturally between a mother and a child. It's not a love that sees something good in someone and chooses to love them because they like what they see. Now, this is a love that is so much greater. This is a supernatural kind of love. It's a kind of love that Paul wanted to define the church in Corinth. He wanted this to be the love that defined them. And he would want this to be the love that defines Hope Church. It's patient and it's kind and it's unconditional love. So we've looked a little at what does this love look like? What does it not look like? The reason I'm focusing on this is because in this passage... Paul writes, love does not, or love is not. He actually spends some time saying what love is not in order to paint what love is. And I, I think he, he took this approach because he's seen some things in the church that have shown him that these guys need to learn some things about love. They need to grasp some, some core truths about love. He's seen some things in the church. He's probably also seen some things in human nature. He's seen some things that he just knows naturally, in and of ourselves, we don't love this way. And all of the, the love is or love does not statements here, I believe could be summarized with one. 
which he uses in verse 5. Love does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not enamored with self-gain, self-justification, self-worth, self-interest, self-gratification, self-advantage. And yet, as we as we, we've kind of worked through this letter over the last few months, we see that in this church there were some, there were some problems. There were Christians taking other Christians to court in this church, motivated by self-gain. There was arguments about which leaders they were going to follow and who they really thought was the real deal. What, you know, petty arguments, but what's at, the, what's at the root of most arguments? It's self-justification. I, I want to be right. I want, to be the, I want to be the winner here. Some were eating the communion bread and drinking the communion wine before others got there. Self-gratification. Some were contributing publicly in a meeting. They weren't really thinking about whether what they were bringing was, was loving or building up people. It was all about self-advantage. And it's, it's, it's quite satisfying, isn't it, to look at a church like that and think, oh, they were really messy. And we can kind of get a bit smug and look at a church like that and think, God, I'm glad we don't have it like that. These guys were absolutely crazy. It makes us feel good about ourselves. That's why we watch soap operas, actually. That's why we watch soaps, because it makes us feel good about ourselves. We look at the, I used to watch EastEnders sort of seven or eight years ago, and I used to think, ah, oh, my life isn't so bad. I could be Phil Mitchell. I could be being shot at every few years. You know, that's why people watch soap operas, because they want to feel less bad about my life. I'm going to watch some people on a screen who are more miserable than me. And sometimes we can look at these, uh, these, these Bible verses and we think, well, this church was a mess. And we can think, oh, I feel a bit better about myself, feel a bit better about my church now. But the reality is it's quite exposing. When we, when we read this passage and we put Jesus' name in the place of love and we say Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus does not envy or boast, Jesus is not arrogant or rude, Jesus doesn't insist on his own way. When we read that, we can think, yeah, I can say that about Jesus, and it's totally true. But then if you try to put your own name in there, it becomes quite exposing, doesn't it? Tom is patient and kind. Tom does not envy or boast. Tom is not arrogant or rude. Tom does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable. I think, man, this is exposing. Because I don't love like Jesus loves. It's not just the the church in Corinth, that have this problem. Why? Because we tend to love ourselves more than we love other people, or even God. And even when we try to love people with selfless love, our selfish love gets in the way, doesn't it? It gets in the way again and again. If we find it hard to do what this love chapter tells us to do, this is a clear sign to us that our love is dominated by selfish affections. And selfishness is, is really ingrained in our culture. And in the West, we celebrate selfishness. We say that you know, putting our own needs first, that's a sign of good health. That's a virtue. You know, look after number one. And it sounds like a, a shocking statement, but I do believe this is the spirit of our age. I'll read this out to you. Um, this is a, a psychologist from the last century who's a very influ- influential guy called Eric Fromm. He says this, our highest calling in life is precisely to take loving care of ourselves. It sounds shocking, doesn't it? But actually, we can know this to be true of our lives, many of us, before we came to know Jesus. And still, 
something that we have to, to deal with in our lives, even having come to know him. Sometimes we, we display selfishness. We choose paths that are right for us, but leave others at the wayside. And maybe you know that to be true of your life. You've chosen paths and it's left others, it's left others in the lurch. It might be that as a manager, you've taken decisions that were right for you, but not for the good of the company. Or as a, as a, as a, a father or a, a husband, you've made decisions that were more motivated by selfish gain and it's left others really, really hurt. It might be that as a son or a daughter, you've taken decisions that have really hurt your parents and you've only thought about yourself. We, we choose selfishness often. We choose our own way often. We insist on our own way often and it leaves others by the wayside. Shirley MacLaine, many of you of a different generation to me will remember her. Very famous Hollywood actress. She's still alive, Wikipedia tells me. Uh, she said this, the only sustaining love involvement is with yourself. When you look back on your life and try to figure out where you've been and where you are going, when you look back at your work, your love affairs, your marriages, your children, your pain, your happiness, when you examine all that closely, what you really find out is that the only person you really go to bed with is yourself. The only thing you have is working to the consummation of your identity and this is where she's really honest. She says this, and that's what I've been trying to do all my life. And maybe that's, maybe that's our story. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your story before you came to know Jesus. I was just living for the consummation of my own identity. I was living for myself. The only person I really cared about was myself. And maybe you've left people by the wayside as a result of that. And Maybe you're in that place now, and you haven't yet given your life to Jesus. I want to tell you this morning... All this God of love we've been singing about, he loves you and he hasn't given up on you. And he really, really wants to, he wants to show this love to you and it will transform your life. And this morning there is an opportunity for you to be born again, for that old life to go and for a new life to come. So maybe you can relate to this. Maybe it might not be as tragic as the consequences I've said, but maybe you can recognize this in your life. You're engaged in an argument with someone and partway through the argument you've kind of clicked yeah they've got a point here maybe they're right here but you will not let it go you will not let them win you will not concede defeat and you will go to the the nth degree to show them that you were right because it's all about self it's all about having your own way maybe when someone has something to say maybe thinking about our life groups or other contexts and you think oh here goes this person again full of hot air and you just can't wait for them to stop speaking. You, can't, you cannot listen to them. You cannot, uh, for a moment, entertain what they have to say because you just want to get your point across. Or maybe you're really easily irritated when someone or something threatens your, your comfort zone, threatens your me time, and it's really irritable for you. Or maybe you don't make the effort to, to get to know different people, maybe people who are difficult, maybe people who are a little bit harder to kind of get alongside i believe that the love that the apostle paul is talking about here is the opposite of the spirit of our age he wrote uh, one of his final um, letters in fact his final letter that we have in the bible he writes to his young protege timothy and uh, he's kind of giving him his parting words and he says understand this timothy 
that in the last days, this is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. He's not having a good day, Paul. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. What Paul is saying is that the spirit of the, these end times, and we're in those end times, we don't know whether Jesus is going to return tomorrow or in 100 years or however long it might be. I'm not going to make any predictions here. But the end times are these days. These last days are the days between Jesus' ascension to heaven and his return to earth. And this is what characterizes these days. People will be lovers, not of God, but of self, of money, not loving good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Paul is calling Timothy and he's calling the church at Corinth and through the word of God now calling us to live a completely different kind of life. A life that is completely opposite to the spirit of the age. And this is what he says in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. He says this in verse 24. He says this, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. And a little later on in the passage, he says this, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul's saying, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not seeking my own good. I'm seeking the good of others, which is ultimately that they come to know God. I'm not seeking to promote myself. I'm seeking to promote God as all in all. And he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as I've said right at the outset, Jesus is the example of patience, loving kindness, not envying, not boastful, not self-seeking. His is the least selfish. His is the least selfish of loves, the most insistent on seeking the good of others. His desire is simply for the best of the beloved. Although Jesus is Lord, he embraced He embraced the position of a servant. He embraced the position of a servant, the calling of a servant. Instead of saving his life, he gave it away. Instead of being exalted on earth, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. But to be honest, even before Jesus got to the cross, he died in some sense. On the night that he was betrayed, having had a meal with his friends, having washed their feet, he then went to go and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the garden, he was wrestling with God the Father in prayer. He was wrestling with him. It was there that actually, in some sense, Jesus died. Not in a physical way, but he died to his own wishes. He died to his own way. He died to saying, not, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. What's really clear is that Jesus, he wanted there to be another way. He prayed it three times. He wanted there to be some other way. He says, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. He's not exaggerating here. He's not putting on a show for the disciples. He was sweating blood. He was really distressed as he thought about not only the physical agony of the cross, 
Not only the, the torture that he was going to physically go through, not just the psychological reality of people mocking him, seeing him there naked, mocking him, throwing insults at him. Not just that either, but actually more so the pain of being separated from the Father because Jesus was on the cross. He was becoming sin for us. He took away our sin and our shame. He took the punishment that was rightfully ours on the cross. And because of that, for a time, separated from his father, damned to death. And so in the garden, he's wrestling with God and he's saying, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Do I have to drink this cup that's suffering? Is there any other way? Given the choice, he would have preferred not to bear the weight of our sin in that way. He would have preferred not to suffer the wrath of God in that way. But nevertheless, Jesus surrendered his will to the Father. He didn't insist on his own way. But he resolved the struggle in the garden in favor of his Father's pleasure. Out of his great love for us, this agape love. So we can say that we know what love is because Jesus laid down his life for us. But there wouldn't have been Calvary and the cross if there wasn't Gethsemane and the choice of love that Jesus made for us. And the choice of love that Jesus made to say, not my will, but yours be done. He said, I'm not going to insist on my own way here. He was committed to doing what it took to save us because of his great love for us. There is only... One thing that chooses to give up its own rights, its own plans, its own comforts and desires, even its own life, and that is the love like the love of Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But the critical thing you need to grasp is, you need to listen up here, the critical thing you need to get a hold of, when you read verses like that, when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, is Paul is not saying, here's a really good example. I'm trying my best here to be like him. You can do it too. That is, it's not as simple as that. He's actually saying there's, a, there's a, not just an example here, but there is a power to live and to love like this. Jesus, in this same uh, night that he was betrayed, he's gathered around the table with his disciples, and he says this in John chapter 13, and verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So when Jesus called it a new commandment, it's not like he suddenly had this really cool idea. It's not like maybe he's just heard, you know, talking to his father and the father says, yeah, well, me and the Holy Spirit, we've just worked this thing out. Can you tell them to love one another, please? This is a new thing. Just you know, No, this has always been a command of God to love one another. But here, in what Jesus is saying here, is that there's not just a command here, but there's a new power by which we can live out that command. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. His call to love comes with new power. The power of his work for us and the power of his spirit within us. His work for us on the cross, dying in our place, and bursting forth on the third day in newness of life. That gives us power to say, with Jesus I have died. With Jesus, my old self has died. My old way of living, my old, the old me is gone. I, I count myself dead to that now. 
the Apostle Paul, same guy, writes to the Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. He says, count yourselves dead to sin. Reckon it to be true. Consider it to be true. You are dead to sin. That means that all we've been shouting about this morning and singing about, that when he called my name, I stepped out of the grave. I was in a grave because now with Christ, I've been crucified. He's risen me to new life. I don't have to go there anymore. I can say no to my sinful desires. I can say no because of the fact that my old self has gone. It's died. It died with Jesus. I'm a new creation now. There's a new creation, and I'm a new creation with new power. Because Jesus didn't simply die and rise from the grave. No, when he ascended to be with the Father, he poured out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to the disciples. In the chapter after this um, passage in John chapter 13, where Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you, he then says, I'm not going to be with you much longer. I'm not going to be with you much longer, guys. Imagine the horror that he would have felt. But he says, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And it's better that I go so that he can come. I can't, he's not going to come unless I go. And what could be better about having Jesus physically in the room with us? What could be better? I mean, I think of that sometimes. It's, I just sometimes think, wouldn't it be amazing if I could just sit with Jesus right now and talk to him? Well, what could be better is that he has now, by the Spirit, come to live within those who have placed their faith in him. He's come and he's now empowering us to live this life of love. It's not like we have to squeeze our eyes tight and think, I've got to try and follow Jesus. I've got to try and be like him. No, he's given us power to say no to our old way of life, to say, I'm no longer that person. I can say no to my sinful uh, desires. I can say no to this temptation. I can say no to self gratification and self-gain. I can say no to those things. And by the power of the Spirit, I can walk into selflessness with his power within me, empowering me to be a servant like Jesus. Paul is not giving us a list of to-dos here in chapter 13 that we can look on and be despairing at. No, he's actually giving us a a whole description of love here that we can be in awe at and think, that's God's love for me. That is God's love for me. It's self-giving. It's not proud. It's, not, it's, it's kind. It's patient. And I'm, as we get wowed by that love more and more, as we come to see what that love led to, it led to the cross. It led to Jesus dying in our place. That gives us a power to say, no, I'm not going to go there anymore. And we see that we've now been, we've now been enabled to live this kind of life. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to make mistakes. But we've now been enabled to live a life of selflessness. I'm no longer that selfish person. I'm a new creation with the spirit within me. We can, with the spirit within us, we can treat and prefer others as if they were Christ. So we can have people in our homes, and sometimes that's really costly to us in time or money or whatever it might be. And we can say, I'm going I'm to treat them as if they were Christ. And if Jesus was walking down your street, you would make some room at the table, wouldn't you? And you'd, you'd put on a banquet for him. You'd say, Jesus, come and eat with me. Have the best biscuits. <laughs> you'd, put it, you'd put it all on for Jesus. And so we can now, we can now say, well, I'm going to treat those people as if it was Jesus. And in conversations, we can let someone speak and we can listen well as if we were listening to Jesus. As if it was Jesus in front of us. And they might not be anywhere near as profound as Jesus. They're not going to be. But we can give them the time of day and listen. 
because it's like we're listening to Jesus. We're treating them as if they were him. We can embrace our calling to be servants. Whatever our position or status, we can say, I only want to serve. I don't, know what, I don't care what it looks like. I just want to serve. Whatever the cost, whatever the role, whatever the amount of recognition, I just want to serve. I want to be like Jesus. I want to embrace the calling of a servant. We can, by the Spirit, be less insistent on having our own way and more consistent in putting others first. And we have opportunities to do that. Even after this service, we have opportunities to do that. We can do this as we behold Jesus on the cross, as we behold him bursting forth to new life, the one who made an end to our sin, the one who has made us new creations, the one who has changed our lives. We can live this life of love with his spirit within us. So let's stand together. I'd love to pray for us. And then I'd love it if we just revel in his love for a time. God, I want you to change me. I want you to make me more like Jesus. I want to be so overwhelmed by this love. I want to be so... uh, I want to be wowed by it, Lord. I want to look at this and not be despairing, thinking I, I can't measure up to that. But I want to be reminded that this is the love that you have for me it's patient it's kind it endures it will always it will always go on and on as we heard earlier on lord we want to be those that count ourselves as dead to selfishness we want to be those that say no that was me but that's not who i am anymore because jesus has saved me and he's made me a new creation we want to be those who in the example of Jesus and by the power of his spirit say not my will but yours Lord help us to be servants Lord I want to pray that we would be an impressive church simply because we love one another well (laughs) nothing more Lord nothing more than that I want us to get your priorities right in our church help us to love each other well for your glory we pray Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.